Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Video Insiders. I'm Dror Gill, and with me is my co-host, Mark Donegan. Hey, Mark, how's it going? Hey, Dror, it's great to be, uh, you know, we always say it's great to be on the mic again, but it has been some time since we recorded, so it's really great this time. It's really great. We're happy to be together. Um, a lot is happening in video. Uh, NAB has gone by, right? How was it for you? NAB was actually amazing. The energy was high. People are so excited to be back together. And it felt like the early days, you know, where people were there sharing ideas, learning from each other, um, updating. Uh, it just, it, it was really awesome. Really, really great show. So if you have a chance to go to IBC, I would not miss it because I think IBC is, is going to be a great show. Yeah, we're very happy that the industry is, uh, is coming back together. And our guest today will also tell us about one of those events. So I would like to welcome our guest uh, for today's episode, who is uh, Jonas Birme. He's the VP R&D of Ivan Technology from Sweden. So uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And uh, thank you for having me today. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you, Jonas. So m maybe for a start, Jonas, you can... Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, your personal background and professional background. So I'm, uh, I'm actually a developer from the start, uh, and I, I still do some development because I, I think that's, that's real fun. Uh, I have an MSc in computing science, and I have been, I've been basically working in the media industry for all my professional life. It started when we were in the shift from going from tape-based production to file-based production. So I've been part of that journey uh, using LTOs instead of VTRs or in combination, uh, you know. I, I always enjoyed that part of sort of shifting the, the industry and, and using technology to do things that wasn't possible before. I mean, in the example with Firebase Ingest, you could actually transfer a piece of a story faster than real time, which means you can produce it much more later than than it's going on air and these things that, that i think that they really it's rocking the the fundamentals of the of the industry and, and that's why i feel it never stops it's always happening these things in this area and and uh, i think that's why I've, that's why i've been been still in media uh, for so long time because it always is a new groundbreaking technology that, that sort of make these shifts and uh, Even though it sometimes can be frustrating when you're still sort of thinking the old ways in many ways, but it's also very rewarding in the sense that you you see when, when it's slowly moving. And you can say that when you look back 20 years, a lot of things have happened. So I enjoy that. And um, today I'm, I'm the VP of R&D at Ivan Technology. And it's great to be working with so many different types of projects and customers and not only watching the industry doing these shifts, but also being part of the shift. I, I, I love that, basically. I will never leave the media industry. I could probably say that now. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the words of a true video insider. He's never going to leave. <laughs> that's right, Jor. We only interview video insiders. So, hey, that's a little clue for all you listeners. You want to come on the show, use the secret um, code word. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we're here for the, for the long run. That's right. 
So tell us a bit about uh, Ivan. What kind of company is it and what type of projects are you involved with? Yeah, I mean, we, we started uh, this company. I was part of uh, founding it, uh, me and my colleague. We, we kicked it off. I think it was around when, when sort of Netflix started uh, get going. And we saw at the time that this is an area where there is a lot of potential. And it, we believed at the time that, okay, this is somewhere we want to be. We want to work in this area. And my colleague, Alexander, who, who started this, he had a background from consulting. And uh, I was working with him actually as a customer to his, his company. But we knew each other in that way. And we were thinking, okay, this is an area we want to work with, but what, what can we do? And uh, we figured that I think that there is and will be room for a company that uh, has specialized in this competence, you know. You know that there will always be, and there's, there is... Uh, video insiders or experts out there that really knows a lot about these things um, but they are either working at a, at a broadcast uh, at a tv station or at a streaming uh, service provider or at a tech provider and there is always a need for knowledge in some area where you where you don't have the knowledge or where you need more of that knowledge and so we thought that we could create a company that have a lot of specialists in this area and also where you when you only focus on one thing we believe you get really good at that you know 10,000 hours and all that so we, we thought we want to be really really good in this area this was a new area many people didn't know that much at the time so we were all part of this groundbreaking and and, and also learning but the learning was kept in, in this company and 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 so today we I would say we are one of the few experts in this area that is something we really push with we're vendor independent which means we don't have a platform of our own we are not reselling any platform we don't have any reseller agreement and that means we can help our customers in the area with when it comes to tech strategy vendor selections and all those things but also in in actual development so what we do is, is software development with the expertise in this video area and technology strategy. And the third thing that we do, which is the thing that I'm leading as VP R&D, is our innovation part. And we do a lot of prototypes, proof of concepts. And uh, I think it was back in 2018, we did a very early proof of concept of personalized TV channels based on sort of, we didn't have a name for that, but you know, the vod to live technology. Uh, so we did that back in 2018, quite an early epoch, I think. Uh, and now that's sort of fundamental of many fast channels. So it's, it's really cool to be part of that. And what we do when we build these prototypes is that we we release the code from this uh, project as open source. It could be either tools, it could be libraries, it could be, be that. Because we want, we want to contribute back to the community in that. And I think that... This innovation part, uh, the first prototype is never production ready, of course. Yeah, that just could be a skunk project from the start, or we could just build it really rapidly. Uh, but then we, we, we open source the tools. Someone, if someone wants to, to continue on that and build on that or, or be inspired by that, I mean, that's fine for us. We want the industry to move forward and, and be innovative. So that's our contribution. I mean, you can do that probably different ways, but that's the way we do it. Uh, and that's the way we enjoy doing it. That's a really interesting approach. Can you give us some examples of some of the open source projects that you've released? Have they gotten adoption? Um, and also, you know, I'm curious, uh, you know, you can start an open source project, release code, right? But it requires support and it requires, you know, you have to kind of build the community and you have to, you know, there's work behind it. 
So do you take a proactive role in then seeing that there's some adoption and supporting it? Or do you just put it out there, let as many people know as possible that it's there and then sort of move on to the next project? I mean, you're absolutely right. We release a lot of projects. Uh, Not all of them get a high attention or high traction. But some do, and of course the ones that get the good good attention we, we focus on. Uh, and we don't know that in the beginning which one that is. So we have a very low barrier in that. I know other kids have different approaches, but we have a, a very low barrier in that sense. We, we ship it. Uh, it doesn't have to be fine polished and we don't have a at the moment a, a, a supporting staff behind it but we ship it i mean it's delivered as is it's it's all that it's, it's uh, we don't promise anything more um but then if some gets good traction we will support it and we we have a good track uh, good track on which projects that is actually actively used and and, and used by customers and that's one of the one that i think i can mention here is the this uh, we call it the channel engine, which is a library for Vod to Live. Uh, so you can build l- linear TV channels from your already transcoded VODs. And that component I know is in fact used in production uh, around the world. So that's that's really fun. That has momentum. We have one library that um, offers uh, Node.js bindings for the SRT library. So you can use SRT in your node application uh, uh, for those who want to do that and that that one is uh, i know quite quite used as well uh, i don't know exactly where that's the sort of thing <laughs> with the open source many use it some use it and tell you about the using but there are also there's also a, a great number of, of uh, users that we don't know about but um, that's how it is it's really awesome that you're uh, contributing this to to the industry and you mentioned that you're pushing the industry forward. And another thing is the organizing uh, the events uh, in the Nordic region, uh, such as uh, Streaming Tech Sweden. And I, uh, I attended this event a few years ago, very well organized, really excellent topics and, and speakers from, from Europe and some even from uh, the US. The uh, 2022 event for Streaming Tech Sweden uh, took place uh, last week. So maybe you can uh, update us um, give us some insights from that uh, event. What kind of topics uh, did you see? What is the industry talking about uh, right now? I mean, first of all, as you mentioned before, it was really great to meet. It was a reunion, you know. It was majority from Sweden, but there were also some some uh, who was flying in. But it was majority in Sweden, so it it, it was a little bit it's like the Swedish reunion, the Swedish streaming industry re- reunion. I mean, many. People hadn't the chance to go to NAB this year, so we didn't meet there. Uh, I personally wasn't able to go to NAB this year, so it was really fun to meet up with these local peers. One thing that I've, I've, I found very interesting that was a talk by the Swedish television and agile content that that shown us, uh, the tel- talked about an example how they moved their production into the cloud uh, and the takeaway from that was that they had to challenge themselves i mean going from a broadcast environment uh sdi based uncompressed and skip the 2110 step into a little bit less high quality format that was interesting to hear that they took that leap they could settle on on a little bit lower quality but uh, the benefits was that they could could move it to the cloud and uh, and it was also fascinating to hear in order to be able to do this they had to develop uh, a new framing format which they have open sourced as well 
uh, they couldn't use MPEG TS, or maybe they could, but it wasn't that optimal for that sense. So uh, they dev developed something called Elastic Frame Protocol, which is uh, more suitable for UDP-based transfer and the MTUs you have on, on the internet than you have in your LAN or, or wider network. So, so that was an interesting takeaway. And then the other thing was the focus on, on sustainability. Uh, it is at least in the early phase still, but there is on the agenda on many. It's looking at the, the, the carbon dioxide impact and, and, and all that. But also, uh, I think it was a, it was a really good notion from one of the talks that said, I mean, we could look at the codecs and how efficient they are in different ways, but basically we are just moving the problem from one place to another place. We need to rethink a lot about how we do things. I mean, when you're moving to a pool-based way of distribution that you do with HTTP streaming, why not also look into what are the possibilities in, in doing this in a very completely different way? Uh, I mean, there are a lot of chunks that you produce and upload to your region that never is, is downloaded. Why are they created even in the first place, etc., etc. So it's, it was, that was an interesting takeaway to challenge the way we do things. There are probably tons of issues that have to be solved in a due way, but, but still, I mean, thinking completely different, uh, then you can, can make a, a, a big difference in, in the way the impact you have on the on the environmental and maybe that's what's need to be done uh, in a way to make a big change uh, so that that was one thing then then of course will often come I had a really interesting talk that was not really about HTTP streaming but part that affects us all yeah? and that was the privacy part where where you know the mask DNS and all those things that there is a movement where where your IP addresses from, from the viewer is, is basically hidden through double proxies and, and all those ways. And, and how does that impact the streaming infrastructure and all that? So uh, I think those were all on the top of my head, the takeaways I had from this conference. And, and um, yeah, it was it was really good, I think, uh, to hear, hear all this. And then, yeah, I mean, we will talk more about that, but there was uh, a lot about uh, WebRTC as well. Sounds amazing. Well, Jonas, you know, let's talk about WebRTC. And uh, I, I find it really interesting over the last couple of years, and certainly with the pandemic, of course, all of a sudden uh, services like Zoom and you know Microsoft Teams and Cisco WebEx, I mean, some of these literally have been around for years, but you know, many of us really never, never use them very broadly. Um, and yet what I find interesting is, is that now in the media and entertainment industry, which is where you primarily or even exclusively work, WebRTC was never before, I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, considered a, a, a viable technology. It was sort of the realm of like video conferencing, right? You know, 15 frames per second, 480p, maybe at the high end, 720p, because again, very different use case. But now we're seeing some very interesting, uh, you know, applications. So I think all of our listeners, of course, know WebRTC. So you don't need to explain exactly what the protocol is, but maybe you can start and, and give a perspective as you're working with media and entertainment customers. Why is suddenly WebRTC the hot new technology, uh, which I think three or four years ago, you, I don't know that there would have been too many booths at IBC or NAB where like, you know, the, the tagline was <laughs> WebRTC for, you know, media and entertainment. Uh, yeah, my perspective on this, uh, and this a little bit represents my own views, of course, but I think that first of all, 
the latency in streaming that has been discussed for so many years. It's it's nothing. It's not a new topic. It's always been addressed. I mean, not also in the broadcast time. And there has been different technology solutions in order to to do really low latency streaming uh, in in very in various ways. Uh, most of them, I would say, all of them has been quite proprietary it's a long-term relationship with a vendor that that's for sure the the, the use case that sold is the is the is the latency and and i think that when you talked about latency it's always been this sort of spoiler thing you heard someone watching terrestrial or or broadcast they, they shared before you saw it yourself in your house that's been sort of the the problem use case that that was brought up and i don't think that has been really enough of a problem to to actually make this a big problem that you had to solve with investment and all it took to that. Yeah, we talked about it in one of the previous episodes. Everybody's bringing up that same example again and again. However, I think that during the pandemic, I mean, uh, when you suddenly can't meet, when you can't be in that arena, uh, you need to play for an empty audience. What is it that you're missing at that time? It is the interaction. It is the engagement. You don't get any feedback. So that's when you suddenly can't meet at one place, then suddenly the latency is extremely important. I mean, basically, if you are 30 seconds behind when I tell a joke, if I'm a stand-up comedian, and then the audience sort of react or laugh 30 seconds later, it's like they're on a different time zone, you know? So this time zone shift, that makes it very important. And, and I think now we are, we started to experience that, okay? The interactivity is the the, and the gay engagement. That's what suffers from this uh, latency. And then you start processing your brain. Okay, now we are out of the pandemic in some way, so we can still meet in concert. But why limit this experience to, to only the one that fills the, the stadium? Why not expand it even globally? And how can you make this uh, experience sort of interactive as well? And then if you look at sort of, okay, what technology is it out there that actually have the, the consumer and support that you would need for this big audience? There aren't that many to choose from. And, and you know, WebRTC, yes, it, it was initially designed for conferencing initially, but it has the, the benefit that it's, it sits in, in many of the consumer devices. So I think that's a, that's a good place to start. There are a lot of things that need to be sold and, and a lot of things that need to be addressed in order to make this for the media industry. I, I'm not saying that you could do this tomorrow or even the, uh, in, in next year. So we are in, a, in, a, in the beginning of this, I would say. And I was very happy to read the report that uh, the Dash IF Exploration Group has uh, released uh, earlier this year, where it sort of addresses the same thing that I, I felt a little bit. Uh, so it was actually, that was a little bit the starting point of us digging more in, into this this technology. And I mean, if there's something that we see in, uh, that's been really uh, working in, in sort of internet in general is how important standards are in this in this area, because that's that's how you're enabled to, to watch your HTTP-based stream today. So that's because of the HTTP standard and everything around that. You bring up something that's really interesting, and this has come up uh, in a number of conversations I've had with folks recently about WebRTC, and that is that WebRTC brings with it a built-in playback ecosystem called the browser. And yes, you know, there's if you're focused on you know very high-end premium 
uh, Hollywood license content and, you know, you need UHD and HDR and, 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 you know, DRM and, and all of this. Okay. That's, you don't care about that, but there are so many, uh, use cases now for video where the browser is the ideal or the preferred or even the exclusive playback environment. And with WebRTC, even an old device can support it, right? With H.264, a lot of times VP8, maybe VP9. So you've got this playback environment, which is really, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, and you mentioned that, I mean, in stadium experience, I mean, there, there's also a use case where you need to be in the same time zone as you are in, you know. So if you have a second screen application where you can watch uh, other camera angles or, or whatever it is, I mean, you put your Jumbo drone in your, in your pocket, basically. Uh, and then you have the benefit of it. We will only, you could just go to a web page, basically, perhaps log in saying verify that you are actually attending there. And then you can watch that. I think that then it's really important that the latency is, I mean, uh, sub-second in a sense, because otherwise it will be, yeah, you can use it as a replay in that sense, but still it's not the Jumbotron in that sense. I think you need to understand what use case you want to solve, of course, and what sort of trade-offs you, you, you're willing to make. There is one thing how things are today, but there's nothing fundamentally in the WebRTC uh, ecosystem that says it cannot support at some time HDR. I mean... It's all technology development that's needed, and, and, and that will be driven by us uh, who wants to have things. So it might not work today, uh, but I think it's a, it's a good point to start off from, at least. I think it has much more greater possibilities for success than perhaps a closed protocol or something like that. So we have a use case, and we have a solution for that use case. Uh, WebRTC does enable uh, low-latency streaming. But then you mentioned that some things are still missing. So what is still missing to have a full system and, and to get an, an experience like we have today when streaming with HLS and Dash? <clears throat> yeah, obviously there are premium content codecs and, and those things. DRM support needs to be solved. But there are still some more fundamental parts that needs to be solved before that. Uh, and that, I would say, is the protocol between the, the, the broadcasters and the consumer. And in between, you have some kind of infrastructure. You know, you need some scaling. You need to have an, a topology of selective forwarding units um, so you can scale this up to how many viewers you, you need that. And I think that that's probably the first point you need to address. I mean, all of the other things, they need to be solved, but I think that's what's made HTTP streaming so successful is that you manage to uh, standardize the INEOS protocol. Uh, there are different INEOS protocols, but there, is, there are standards. And you have standardized playback or, or consumption protocols. And I think that by doing that, you can have the sort of INEOS area focusing on their part. Uh, on the consumption side, you can have the, the player and the browser and the, and the device stack focusing on their part. And then in between, you can have the distribution networks or the infrastructure providers focusing on their part. And, and by splitting this up, these three areas, you can have different vendors in all each areas. You can have the same for all three if, you have, if one is really big and successful, but you are not locked into that. And the, as an infrastructure provider, you, you actually have the possibility to invest in this area because you know that there are a potential for many different types of customers that will, will use your, your infrastructure. and not, You're not tying yourself into one, one uh, typical uh, WebRTC server or media server, SFU. Uh, you, can, you can choose 
the one that you uh, you want uh, and and different infrastructures CDN providers who should call them they could have have, have different ones so it's, it's more of what tech stack they they build up and that's why I think that it is important to have a protocol on both on the Indian side and the protocol on the on the playback side and WebRTC in in, in a way is, is a, it's a set of standards as you know so it's not like it's high chaparral in that sense but uh, there are some parts that, that still is is missing and, and that's very simple part that can be solved I think and that is the the way you transport or signal the the actual uh, session description uh, protocol the stp the 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 handshaking the offer answer part that is not specified how you uh, as a viewer or 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 uh, one pair gets it from the other pair that's that's outside the, the scope of the protocols uh, i know you had whip uh, or ryan jesperson here talking before uh, and and they he presented whip he was also at streaming tech sweden uh, who on presented whip which is basically a standard on how to use http methods to actually send this stp envelope back and forth so not rocket science but they, someone needs to do it someone needs to specify that and by having that on whip you have you have the ingest part, and then uh, on the sort of consumption side, on the on the playback side, uh, there isn't any standard, uh, and we are proposing a standard which is a little bit similar to WIP, but solves that problem. So if you have a standardized ingest and standardized consumption, then uh, I think you have a good base to develop this technology further, uh, where where you can focus on the different areas where you are interested in focusing. So just to put things in order, WIP is the ingestion protocol. And we, we actually covered WIP in our interview with Ryan Jesperson from Millicast in episode 68. And Ivan and you personally, Jonas, have proposed a new protocol for the consumption side that is WHPP. So can you uh, give us some, some details about the protocols that you propose? It uses uh, the same uh, same mechanism. The difference is that it's focusing on on the consumption side. So in the WIP, it is the the sender who who sends the offer in an HTTP post to the media server. Uh, with WHPP, uh, you need to have the, the sort of the sender uh, part to initiate the offer. But it is the viewer who press play. So what we did is that we we had the player send an HTTP post to the server, basically signaling that hey I want an offer, and then in the re- response on that, the the server sends the HTTP offer, and the player will send its answer back as a put to the resource it gets from the the first HTTP post, and then uh, all the IC candidates are trickled down using the similar way uh, with HTTP patch. As, as WIP does, so they have some similarities. Uh, you know, we're focusing on the on the consumption side, and there are probably things that needs to be added. And we just put this protocol uh, online, so we'll probably get feedback, and, and we need to uh, enhance it. When we started this project, the starting point was that um, report from Dash IF that made us initiate this project, uh, and. The goal I had from the start was basically to see, I mean, can we build a prototype where we have an end-to-end WebRTC-based streaming in a standardized way? I found out about WIP, um, so that was the start. Uh, I didn't find anything more than what was mentioned in the report, uh, but I didn't find anything sort of more ready or, or available on, on the consumption side. So we started actually by just building our own API for actually the, the consumption part 
and uh, we we made a, a WebRTC player library that sort of had ad adapters so you could plug in different types of media servers. Um, so we made that first. So we had an end-to-end -end workflow, but based on not a standardized playback, but more of then we had our IVN playback in that sense, which is not really what, what we wanted. So we went back to the drawing board and said, hey, why can't we do what uh, Ryan and his team did? Uh, they created WIP. Let's do something fun. Let's create a standard for this. And uh, we have presented it to Dash IF, this exploration group, and they are considering see how they will move forward, if it will be part of their work or it will be some other. Um, so we, we've been very open with this. We don't want to create yet another standard. That's not what we're out for. If there is already a standard that does this and does it better and is more, more implemented, well, that's great. Then we will, we will use that. Uh, but we haven't got that feedback yet. So, so we then implemented this WHPP. We, we wrote about it and we, we, bu we built an adapter in a WebRTC player that, that does this. And the thing is that we, we use this WebRTC player library in our... We have an open source web player that basically wraps around HLS-AS and, and Dash-AS. Uh, so you have one player to play HLS and then play Dash. Uh, that's nothing unique. There are many others doing the same thing. But we have that as an open source player. And so we, we then put in this WebRTC player library in that. So we we could actually play both HLS and MPEG Dash and also WebRTC in the same player uh, with the same controls, the same skin and everything around that. So And I think that was a good part of this proof of concept showing that, I mean, we could signal this endpoint, this WHPP endpoint in uh, an MPEG Dash manifest if we would want to. And then... The player could choose use either this period or adaptation set with uh, MPEG Dash standard streaming or WebRTC streaming, which was one of the things that was mentioned in the, this uh, WebRTC report by Dash IF. So we thought in that direction to see a little bit further. You mentioned the scaling problem. Is this something that's inherent to WebRTC? Because with HLS and Dash, we're using standard HTTP chunks that are cached like any other web uh, traffic and flow very smoothly through the CDNs and the backbone. And in, in WebRTC, you need servers, right? You need servers to support uh, each and every user who needs to interact and needs to get the low delay stream. So is this an inherent problem or is there something that will solve it in the future? No, I think it can be solved in the future. It's all about hardware <laughs> and connectivity. I mean, of course, if you chain a number as if you, you, you add some latencies on, on everyone, so there, there will be some parts that will be challenging to solve in that sense. But I, I don't think there is anything inherent. It's a different type of problem, basically. You need to solve in a different way. So I think it can be done, but I think it has to be done in a way where you you can afford investing in this in this topology or this infrastructure. That's why I believe that there is important to have a standardized for for the consumption part. So you are not tied to any specific uh, uh, WebRTC server infrastructure in that sense. Very interesting. So what is your vision for the future of media streaming on the internet? Do you have an idea how much is going to migrate to WebRTC? Which applications will you know stay with HLS and Dash? What are your thoughts around that? I mean, I think that for use cases where you don't need any feedback from the audience back to the, the broadcaster, the artist or, or whoever, it will be sufficient with standard uh, HTTP streaming. Uh, you could use uh, this low latency HLS and MPEG Dash variants as well to, to, to get down the latency as well. And so those will, I mean, they will exist for, for many years. It's, I don't think they will be replaced. But I think that there will be more 
possibilities where you have more living room experiences where you have a more interaction, direct interaction with the state. It could be direct voting or it, I mean, what should I play next? And then you get sort of instant feedback on that. You don't have to wait 45 seconds just waiting for everyone to actually see what you said and then you get that feedback and etc etc so so those use cases i know that many people bring this up it's an issue with scaling and all that and yeah it is the problem you need to solve but i think that if you can separate the concerns in this way you you can have a group of vendors that focusing on the actual the scaling and and the infrastructure and that so everyone doesn't have to take on that problem it's sort of been solved like like Akamai or Fastly or whoever solves the, the CDN distribution on the web. So I think that, that that will be solved. So my vision is that there will be this super interactive experiences with a large audience. So it's not only 100, it's not only 500. We're talking about 500,000 where you can have instant feedback. It could be reactions uh, that's illuminating up some lights on stage or whatever, you know, some instant feedback. So it's, it will not be suitable for everything. And I think that you should use it where it actually adds a value and uh, not just because. HTTP streaming for lives, well, I mean, it will solve many use cases where you don't need this type of uh, interaction. That's right. Uh, Jonas, this has really been a fascinating uh, conversation on the future of WebRTC and the way it's uh, being used for low delay streaming and interactive applications. And I think it's really great what Ivan is doing to, to the industry and the community of, of video technology, uh, the open source that you are contributing, the protocols that you are proposing, the conferences that you're organizing to bring everybody together. So, you know, we really appreciate it uh, very much. And uh, we'd like to thank you for joining us uh, today on the Video Insiders podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It was great to talk about this. And uh, I'm really happy to get get feedback and uh, contributions back on this and, and also help in, in adopting this in, into a standard. So that's the baseline. And then uh, then there are a lot of things we can do on top of that. Uh, and uh, I didn't say it in the beginning, but I mean, our intention with this prototype was not to solve all the problems because uh, that I'm not sure we can do, but uh, to sort of make it possible to solve all the problems or helping out on that. Yeah, it's amazing work that you're doing. Uh, and thank you for sharing with us. We'll definitely uh, have to have you back and uh, get some updates down the road. So thanks for coming on the podcast, Jonas. Well, thank you. And thank you all of our listeners. And until the next time we meet, we are going to wish you happy encoding. Happy encoding. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders Podcast. If you'd like to appear on the show, just send an email to thevideoinsiders at beamer.com. That's B-E-A-M-R.com with a brief description on what you're working on and why you think it's interesting for our audience. This podcast is sponsored by Beamer Imaging. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent.